that's you? Oh. Okay. I guess I just got unmuted. I said hello. And it's good to be with you last weekend, be there with you for Sabbath. And wish it could be this weekend, but this will draw to a close soon. We're headed for the feast season. And, uh, got to wrap some things up here and, and uh, be home for that, obviously, and preparing for it. <clears throat> I uh, got the news last night that uh, a long-time friend and someone who has lived with us and uh, kept the peace with us sometimes over the years, uh, Dennis Schaefer uh, died on Thursday, I heard. I didn't get any details uh, in the report that I got, but uh, he had been well. One of us I know of at least spoke to him about a week and a half ago, and he seemed in good spirits and in good health at the time. So this happened very rapidly, obviously. I don't know whether he had a heart attack or stroke or what may have happened, but uh, Dennis did die apparently on Thursday. It seems like it just almost yesterday that uh, his wife Libby had died. And hers was a situation where they had had some illness, but they'd gotten well. And they were just talking one day, and uh, he had said something, and she had. And then he made another comment, and she didn't respond, and she was gone, just like that. Just went to sleep. And I don't know that Dennis did that, but I, I think that to be able to die in that fashion really is uh, a blessing from God to die peacefully instead of going through the agony that so, so very many go through these days with disease and sickness and accident and all the ways that we can die uh, to go quickly and peacefully is is kind of a wonderful thing in a way. But anyway, uh, that's the news that I have there. Well, let us get back to the Lamentations. Uh, I hope to finish this up today. <clears throat> we realize that Israel had just gone into captivity, and Jeremiah was lamenting everything that had occurred, and he knew... Uh, because God had instructed him to write the book of Jeremiah and to preach to the people. He knew that God was behind it, uh, that God did it, and when he wrote this lament right after it happened, he was very, very quick to say, God is the one who has brought this on you. It wasn't just the devil. It wasn't just them. But God had brought it on them because of the way they had been thinking and living. And Jeremiah had made it very clear what was coming, and they did not repent. Uh, so it came anyway. God has often given warnings to people throughout history, and rarely do people pay any attention or repent or anything else that God would have them do. Nineveh is a, a shining light in that sense. It was this Gentile country, uh, not Israelite at all, and yet Jonah was sent to them to warn them that they would be destroyed unless they repented. And Jonah didn't like that because he didn't like Nineveh. He knew that Nineveh was destined to conquer the Assyrian to conquer Israel uh, because of Israel's sins. So Jonah did not want to take that message to Nineveh and have the possibility that they, that they would repent and be spared. But when he, God finally got Jonah into an attitude where he would do it after a bout with various things, including swallowed by a fish, uh, Nineveh did repent. One of the few times in the Bible that people truly listened to God. Now, they didn't stay followers of God, but they did hear Jonah's message. They did change 
some things. Obviously, that's what repentance is, is changing things. And God spared them. I don't know how much they changed, but enough that God was willing to spare them. And, wow. You remember Christ, a time or two at least, said that uh, he had seen no such faith, even in Israel, of the Gentile lady who came and kept persisting that he would heal her. And he finally did because of her persistence and her belief and her trust. So she was similar to Nineveh in that sense. But Israel, we know, is stiff-necked, stubborn, and rebellious as a people. And that is the record in the Bible all the way through uh, that we do not easily repent. Now we know, and I've said it a thousand times at once, that the church has been broken up by God for our intransigence, our stiff neck, our rebellion, our lack of zeal, our self-righteousness in our sins, and all that has occurred, and that the book of Lamentations is a book of prophecy about it. And now you would think that the church, having God's spirit, begotten of God, a part of the very organism that Christ started with the apostles and continuing to now. We quickly see that Revelation 3 had indeed occurred to us, that Laodiceanism got, got us spewed out of Christ's mouth into little bits and pieces all over the world, and that we would have quickly repented and repaired the damage and the breach between us and God. But now we're going on almost 40 years and still have not reached that point where God has been willing to take the pressure off to begin to gather us and to smile on us again. We are very, very slow to change. We're very, very slow to get the message. We like our way of thinking. We don't want to draw close to God because drawing close to God would mean we would have to be getting further from the world and from our sins and our human nature. And our nature does not like that. It resists it. It fights it. So here we are nearly 40 years after the big doctrinal changes started and God stewed us out. We still not have, have not achieved what Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all the other prophets admonish us to do, including this lamentation of Jeremiah over the destruction that had come on Israel and Judah then and is right now upon you and me. I hope we're at the very near end of it, and I believe that we are. God says that there will be old men still around who saw worldwide at its best and will see the new temple as it is built and be able to make a comparison. And those old men are getting older and dying. They just lost Dennis Schaefer, who I don't know how old Dennis was, but he was, I'm sure either just before or just over 80 or somewhere right in there. And there's one more that can't witness uh, the difference between Pearl White at its best and the latter temple at its best. So it has to be pretty soon. And maybe we'll start getting the message and God can again smile on us. I certainly hope so. He gave us some encouragement in chapter 3 and says that we should hope and believe, trust in God and wait for him. He tells us toward the end of that chapter in 57 not to fear, but to seek him. And that's what it all comes down to. And obviously we have not sought him to the degree with the zeal that he intended and still intends. I don't know how much more we'll have to go through before we reach that point where he says, okay, 
I will now, instead of chasing you and punish you, and I spent some time on that last week, he chastens every son whom he loves. He loves us, and that's obvious from the fact that he's working with us. He's punishing us, hoping we'll repent and become meek and humble and loving toward him. And he's going to keep the pressure on until we have that attitude. The arrogance, the pride, the self-righteousness has to go away, and we have to become humble and lovable and sweet, and then he will quit applying the paddle. But he will not until he sees the attitude change to where he wants it to be. We have to be lovable toward him. So let's go to chapter 4 with that brief summary of where we've been. And he continues uh, the lamentation. How is the gold become dim? How is the most fine gold changed? God called us, set us up to be refined, to become true gold, and that which was growing toward his kingdom, that which was changing, that which was learning and seeking God, has lost its luster. It's lost its brightness, its spiritual brilliance, and become dim. Uh, not as pretty, not as nice. The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. Now, he calls us, in the New Testament, stones in the temple. Christ, of course, was the chief cornerstone, and we are connected to him. Somebody asked me a question recently, and I uh, didn't have the answer, but I think maybe I'm getting close to it. It's perhaps only speculation in a way. But I was asked, what is the white stone there in Revelation 2 or 3, whichever church it is he says that to? He says that those who enter his kingdom will be given a white stone. Why? Why would he give you a stone? He says he gives us a new name that only we will know, at least at first. He gives us a new song to sing that only the 144,000 can sing. And then there he also says he'll give us a white stone. And I didn't really know how to answer that, but I've had a couple of thoughts since, and part of it stems from the statement right here of Jeremiah. The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. In other words, God has knocked the temple down, the church down, Christ said that there'd not be one stone left on another, speaking of the physical temple there at Jerusalem, and that happened. But it was also a reference to the church and how it has been scattered and toppled and the pieces strewn about. So if we were a stone, what happened to us? If we were considered as fine gold, what happened to us? We lost our luster. We lost our shine. If any stone could ever be considered white, it would be Christ himself. The chief cornerstone. No darkness, no sin, no spot, no wrinkle, but pure white. The pure white of righteousness. He even talks about our clothing as an example of that, that we should be wearing white clothes of righteousness, unstained, unspotted, not dirty, but cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. So righteousness is represented by whiteness. And we have been anything but white in these last almost 40 years, and events leading up to that, in fact. We've become stained and polluted discolored by the world, uh, not as beautiful as a pure white stone. Now you see stones all over the earth of various colors and a mixture of colors. 
But a true, true, purely white stone is hard to find, and if you do, it's a lovely, beautiful thing. I've seen quartz deposits that were very, very white, maybe not perfect. But God wants us to be white stones, and maybe giving us, as a member of the 144,000, a white stone is representative of us having achieved righteousness, and it gives us a white stone as a memento of righteousness and of acceptance. Because chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are about either acceptance or not accepting or being accepted. So, I'm speculating in, in these terms. It isn't stated clearly. But I suspect it has to do with us having become righteous and white and as a memento of acceptance, a memento of how we have struggled and worked and become righteous. And then in our change from mortal to immortal, at the resurrection, we become pure and white and totally righteous and he hands us a white stone as a memento of that and thankfulness to us for having gone through what we are going through to become what it is that we need to become and that's white stones of righteousness within the temple of God. That's the best I can come up with but it seems to fit. He continues in verse 2, The precious stones of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how there are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter. You see earthen pitchers made that have been done on a wheel or by hand, and they're imperfect. Uh, they're not completely round. They're not completely perfectly shaped. Uh, they have flaws. They have cracks often. Uh, how did we come from, in God's estimation, being like pure gold to just a clay pot by comparison? And that's what he says. Uh, you looked like this, now you look like that. What are we going to do about this? How did this come to be? And then he makes some comparisons. <clears throat> Even the sea monsters draw out the breast. They give suck to their young ones. The daughters of my people have become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. He says, even in the sea, some of the animals there give live birth and nurse their babies. But he says, we're getting to the point we don't even care that much about our babies. Now, mothers tend to love babies. Fathers tend to love them, maybe not in quite the same way. It's different in how we approach it, but still love them. And yet, what we have in our society today is families that are breaking up. The natural affections are going away, and we're becoming perverted and not treating the kids right. I've been around some kids recently, grown kids, at least grown in body, that are still about 13, 14 years of age in the way they act. Uh, they don't think responsibly. They don't act responsibly, uh, whether they're 20 or 40 years old. They're just not growing up. And we're not treating our kids as a family anymore. I just read an article, in fact, that comes to mind. In Germany, now in the preschool, uh, home care places. They're setting aside a room at those places for these preschool children, three, four, five years of age, where they go, they put them in this room and they encourage them to take all their clothes off and become familiar with each other. Uh, and they call it kind of a pre-sex adjustment period. How abominable getting away from the family and the family values and letting these kids explore each other at age three, four, and five. 
They shouldn't know those things at that age at all. But a mother is done nursing her son, let's say, at two years of age. He doesn't need to see his mother's breasts again. Ever. Now, maybe a girl can see her mother naked. Either the same sex. But a boy shouldn't see his mother naked after probably two years of age. I'm picking a number there, but... Uh, they're getting to the point they can put things together and they shouldn't do it. Little girls shouldn't see their father naked after about age two, period, ever. But now they're turning the kids loose to see each other. They don't need to know those things at that age. And after about age two, they begin to remember. They begin to see and understand. And that's an abomination. should never be done. I don't remember seeing my mother naked ever until I must have been 14 or 15 or so on, happened to open the bathroom door and she just gotten out of the shower. And it was shocking to me because I didn't remember at all what she looked like when I was just a little baby. And I didn't need to know that. I still didn't need to know it at age 14, much less two, three, four, five, six years of age, when people begin to understand. So we've gotten to the point that we've lost understanding, and it's perverted for children to see their mothers and their fathers naked. They don't need to see that. Yeah, they do in Finland. People bring up arguments. Yeah, the whole family saunas together. Well, let me tell you something. Sweden has one of the worst records of immorality in the whole world. So don't use that one. We just need to protect our children and take care of them. But even the sea monsters follow the rules and are careful. But the daughters of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. Ostrich lays an egg, goes off and leaves it. Let's the sand heat it and hatch it. The tongue of the sucking child cleaves to the roof of his mouth for thirst. The young children ask bread and no man breaks it to them. So he's talking about here right now in the church, the spiritual famine we've been going through, and he's talking about the physical famine that this nation is about to go through. And it's already beginning with empty shelves and higher prices, and they are doing everything they can to take our food away from us, and they're getting it done. Little at a time until they do it completely. So there's no caring with those who are the rulers about the people. They want to see us dead. They've said so. So famine is coming. They that did feed delicately are desolate in the streets. They were brought up in scarlet embrace, in scarlet embrace dunghills. Anything they can find. Looking for anything. Picking through manure. Trying to find something undigested. Is there a blueberry in here somewhere? For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom. It was overthrown as in a moment, and no hands stayed uh, on her. No one protected her. Sodom and Gomorrah just went up in a flash and lost life with it because she looked back and desired some of those things that were there, whether it was relatives left behind or parts of the society or culture, I don't know. But we're getting to where we tolerate absolute perversion in this country and are teaching it to our children, teaching them to be transgenders, to be confused about whether they're a boy or a girl or something somewhere in between. It's abominable. It's sick. And yet now it is becoming socially acceptable 
and being pushed by the powers that be and by the society and culture around us. And more and more people are getting involved and we're perverted. Let's go to verse 7. Her Nazarites were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were <clears throat> more ruddy in body than rubies. Their polishing was a sapphire. So there was a time when they were upright and healthy, uh, clean, pure, and then something happened. Their visage, visage is blacker than a coal. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaves to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. So both in terms of spirituality and physically, going through famine, there are people that say that this means that the priesthood in Israel were black. No, it says they were white. They were clean. They were pure. And now the famine and disease cause the darkness. So it isn't a matter of genetics or blood here. It's a matter of conditions that change them from the white that Israel is to the blackness of sin and the blackness of famine and pestilence. And he says, They that be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. Hunger, famine, starvation take time. And you go through an awful lot of misery and grief and hurt and pain and extreme hunger and thirst over a protracted, protracted amount of time until your body has basically turned on itself and eaten itself up and you're just skin and bones. That is not a pleasant thing to go through. But this nation is about to go through it. Better you just have your head locked off with a sword and be done with it. For these pine away, stricken for want of the fruits of the field. We've been pining away spiritually, overall as a church, looking for good doctrine, looking for good teaching, looking for a ministry that would follow God instead of their own ideas, and so on and so forth. And now it's coming on the nation physically. The hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. They were their food in the destruction of the daughter of my people. It's hard for fat, lazy Americans to understand and grasp. But very shortly now, we will have gone to from opulence and plenty of food everywhere to the point that mothers will eat their own children. That's hunger. That's famine. That is so extreme that they would go to that point. I, it's hard to imagine. Back in Elijah's day, there was the woman who was going out to kindle one more fire and have one more meal, and then she and her son would both lay down and die together. We have lost what that woman had. <clears throat> and it's going to show very shortly. We've become so extremely selfish and narcissistic that when we get that hungry, we're going to eat our own children, eat our own mates, eat anybody that we can kill as a nation. The prophecies are here. They say that. That woman at least still had some character left that she would lay down and die with her child rather than eating her child. But Americans are going to eat their children. How sad it is. The Eternal has accomplished his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger and has kindled a fire in Zion and has devoured the foundations thereof. From a church standpoint, 
whole foundation crumbled when Edomite Takashis took it back to Babylon and set it on its base there in Zechariah 5 says. There its mouth was shut by a lead weight thrown in the mouth of the basket. And the foundations of our nation are gone. Now there is no rule of law. The Constitution means nothing, and they just do what they want to do. You can't get justice. There is no justice in the land. You go to court, don't expect justice. Don't expect the truth to come out and be followed and honored, because it all goes according to their political desires and what the judge wants, what the district attorney wants, what the powers that be want. They just do as they please. There's no foundation left anymore in our nation. Our president is a laughing stock. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. There was a time when people would not have believed that America would degenerate and go downhill like we have and be right at the point of being taken over. In many respects, we already have been by our own government officials. We are not a free nation anymore. We have the illusion of it because we can still move around fairly freely. But if they catch you thinking or saying anything on social media that is not politically correct, you can be shut down now. There is no freedom of speech. There is no freedom of expression. You can be killed or shot by others of a different political view just because you have a bumper sticker that disagrees with them. It's breaking down very rapidly. And the world is standing back in shock. It is what has happened to the once great United States of America. For the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, they have shed the blood of the just in the midst of her. They've wandered as blind men in the streets. They polluted themselves with blood so that men could not touch their garments. Abortion, uh, killing them after they're born. Canada's working on euthanizing old people because they're not any good anymore and they're polluting the earth by breathing. They cried to them, Depart you, it is unclean. Depart, depart, touch not. When they fled away and wandered, they said among the heathen, They shall no more sojourn there. It's getting to the point, you tell people, don't go to America. It's a mess. It's getting worse day by day. The American dream is over. And that's just what Jeremiah said a couple, three thousand years ago. The anger of the eternal has divided them. We are a divided country. We're thinking of secession of states, reorganizing governments. We're divided politically. He will no more regard them. They respected not the persons of the priests. They favored not the elders. No one respects anything anymore, or anyone anymore, it seems. We have a whole generation now growing up that have no respect for their elders. Hey, dude, they'll say to somebody 40 years older than them, there's no respect there. I just knew somebody that just had to kick one of the children out of the house in the 20s. But they show no respect, no thankfulness, no gratefulness. Do nothing to complain and whine about how they're mistreated and how they don't have their inheritance yet. And probably won't ever get one because their parents are such nasty, mean people. They have a lot to be thankful for and grateful for. But it's gone. It's not there. They don't respect each other. Whole generation going on through now of that. Getting worse day by day.
As for us, our eyes as yet fail for our vain help. No help there. In our watching, we have watched for a nation that could not save us. Think America can save you today? They have the illusion that they can through all these government programs handing out money. And they're turning it so fast they can't keep up with it. And it's leading us to extreme inflation, getting worse and worse, day by day. Can't save us. We're going down. Our leaders can't save us, and God certainly is not going to. They hunt our steps. We cannot go on our streets. Got cameras everywhere to watch and be sure you perform properly. Our end is near. Our days are fulfilled, for our end is come. Here we are. Our persecutors are swifter than the eagles of the heaven. They pursued us upon the mountains. They laid wait for us in the wilderness. It's getting where you're not safe anywhere. People are opening fire in McDonald's or Burger King or Target or wherever they happen to be. They just pull out a gun and start shooting people. It's getting more and more common. In traffic, wherever. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the eternal, was taken into their, their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the heathen. We might have said, we'll serve God and do it among the heathen. But it's getting to the point you can't do that. They're starting to persecute anybody who uses the name of Christ. Are they open up new mosques and leave them open while they shut down churches because they talk about Christ. You can't live among the heathen. God says, come out of her, my people, that you be not partaker of her sins and her punishment. But people don't want to leave the cities. They don't want to leave their homes and their jobs and leave the midst of Babylon and go to the wilderness. But God says to Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, that dwell in the land of Utes. Or us, it says here, but Utes are, Utah is from that. I believe there is a strong presence of Edomites in the state of Utah. Many of the Mormons, Ammonites, Moabites, hence the polygamy and the perversion that is there, and Edom. And Obadiah and other scriptures show how Ammon and Moab and Edom are going to punish God's people. We have the Tekatis and Raider who were Edomites, false Jews, who helped destroy the church were very, very large in destroying the church. And now we have false Jews, Edomites, in our government, and in the powers that be even bigger than that around the world, who are dead set on destroying America, whether they know we're Israel or not. There is a natural enmity between an Edomite and an Israelite. The cup also shall pass through to you. You shall be drunken and shall make yourself naked. So Edom has set itself to destroy America. And a lot of the big bankers and the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers are false Jews. They're Edomites. And they have set their hearts to destroy America. And they're working on it feverishly today. But they're going to show their true colors. Their drunkenness will show. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He, the Edomite, will no, no more carry you away into captivity. He will visit your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, a God will, and will discover your sins. Book of Obadiah makes it very clear that Edom, here at the end, will be very instrumental in destroying Israel 
and laughing at our plight. But then he shows that he is going to destroy Edom for what they've done to us. Now, we deserve what Edom is about to do to us and is already doing to us. We deserve it richly. But God is still going to punish those who bring it to pass. Even though he has prophesied it and knows it's coming, Esau and Edom are going to get their punishment as well. So our unrighteousness will cause us problems. Their unrighteousness will cause them problems. Unrighteousness brings problems no matter where it's found. So no one escapes. So he says, Remember, O Lord, what is come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. See, these things you and I have seen the Edomite come in and destroy the church. And we're watching right now with the big bankers, Edomites behind the scenes, we call them Jews, they're Anasazi Jews, that is, they were Gentiles converted to Judaism, but they're really Edomites of Esau. And we've seen it happen to the church with Edomites. Now we're seeing it happening already with Edomites behind the scenes to our nation. It's going to get worse day by day. <laughs> so Jeremiah then turns a little and says, Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. Now he brought it on us and he used Edom to punish us. He's going to use the Assyrian also to punish this nation. But God says at some point, people will say, remember what's happened. And we, you and I, can already say it. Please, Father, remember what has happened to us and bring mercy, bring forgiveness. But we have to do our part and do the repentance and the turn from Laodiceanism. Our inheritance is turned to strangers, our houses to aliens. We're orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are as widows. Mothers are presented by church. We've churches without children, widows. We've drunken our water for money. Our wood is sold to us. Nothing comes easy anymore. You have to go buy everything you have. I never thought I'd see the day that I would go buy water. What do you mean? It was a, a foreign thought. It never occurred. We had water that came out of the tap in the towns. We had our wells where I lived out in the country, and we had an endless supply of water. We didn't have to buy water. Now you see Americans everywhere drinking water out of little bottles. And we just go buy our water. Our wood, our heat is sold to us. We don't have a wood lot anymore. At the back of our property where we can go hut, cut firewood, you have to either buy it or spend a lot of money in gas to go get it. And it's getting worse day by day. Prices are going up. Our necks are under persecution. We labor and have no rest. Upset, confused, frustrated by our government, by conditions, by living conditions as they get worse. We have given the land of the Egyptians and of the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. We're selling our land, which God gave us, to the Chinese, to Russian oligarchs, to people from all over the world who just come in and buy our land now. It's in our land anymore. It belongs to foreigners. So we want bread. We want food. We want to have good trade relations. So we're letting them have our land. Then what do you do? Our fathers have sinned and are not. And we have borne their iniquities. Our leaders are being taken away. We know that our top leaders... At least one or two of them are going to be killed from three or four scriptures. 
Servants have ruled over us. There is none that does deliver us out of their hand. They're not diplomats. They're not leaders. They're not God-fearers. They're just people like everybody else who got elected or appointed. And they're not in the position of being in leadership or ownership at all, but they're just like servants who've been put in charge who don't have a clue how to lead. We got our bread with the peril of our lives because of the sword of the wilderness. Maybe this isn't fully fulfilled yet by any means, but it's on the horizon. Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. They ravished the women in Zion and the maids in the cities of Judah. This is coming very, very shortly, physically, to our nation. They're going to come in, they're going to rape and rob. Princes are hanged up by their hand. The faces of elders were not honored. doesn't matter who you think you are or what position you've had. People who've been leaders are going to be hanged by the hand and just hang there until they die and their shoulder falls off. They took the young men to grind, and the children fell under the wood. So they're going to take people who are capable of working as slaves. I think I mentioned last week that uh, they'll kill the elderly, they'll rape the women, they'll take the ones who are capable of physical labor and take them as slaves. A third of us are going into slavery and a sword after them. That's what's going to happen to this nation. And they'll have no pity. Well, the other thought I had that I did mention last week was that uh, we don't have anything left that they want to pay our debt with. We owe them trillions of dollars. And the only thing we have to pay that debt is our land and our lives. So they'll take over the land, and they'll enslave those of us who can work. The rest will die. And the leading Edomites right now on the earth are saying that 90% of us will die. The elders have ceased from the gate, the young men from their music. All these little headphones we got putting lousy music into our heads all day long are going to go away. No music, no happiness. The joy of our heart is ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. We thought we were the crowned nation, the great nation. And sadly, we were. But the way we've lived has caused God to remove blessings, and he will no longer bless America until we bow our knees to him. And it's going to take the death of most of us before that ever begins to happen. Just as the church spiritually has almost died, worldwide is dead, Laodiceans still live, and a very few Philadelphians will be a part of what God is going to do from here on in. Ten percent. That's it. So the crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us that we have sinned. We want crowns of glory. That's what Revelation 2 and 3 promised the churches. If they will overcome and grow, as opposed to just drifting along, getting along, living, making the path of least resistance. You know, you you have to face some difficult things in life. Drawing close to God and putting forth the effort that that requires in prayer, Bible study, meditation, fasting, it requires a lot to really walk with God because he walks a straight path. And we like crooked paths. We like broad ways that are easy and lead to destruction. 
and you have to really work on yourself and your nature in order to discipline yourself to the point that you actually change, grow, and overcome. That is not your nature. Your nature is to take the easy way, the lazy way, and hope things work out. That's human nature. God's nature is different. And he requires us to do whatever is necessary to truly change, overcome, and be different than we have been. And we change awfully slowly. And I already used the example. We've been about 37 years at it since God began to blow the church apart. And still, we're far from what we ought to be. That's how slowly we change. You'd think that we'd read those scriptures and just straighten right up. No, that's not the human way. And we're suffering as a result of it. The crown's fallen from our head. I want the crown from God. He's promised it if I'll overcome. I want that crown. I want that blessing. I want that happiness and joy that God would have in giving me the crown of life. Now, he wants to be well pleased with us as he was with Jesus Christ. He wants us to be one with him. Jesus even said he loves us the same way he loved him. So the love of God is beyond our comprehension. And the kind of love he would love to have back from us is beyond our comprehension as well. We don't know how to love that way. Therefore, we have to pray and ask for his spirit that we be given his kind of love. It's got no borders. His love is forever. It is very deep. He will never leave nor forsake us. And yet we can so easily forsake him and thought or deed in a split second. That's how easy it comes to us. We have sinned. For this our heart is faint. For these things our eyes are dim. Because we have sinned. Because we have departed from God. Because we have not been loyal and faithful and trusting in God. That every good thing on earth and in the universe comes from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. God loves us so deeply that we can't even comprehend it. He loved even sinners so much that he sent his son to die for them. What kind of love is that? Would you give one of your sons for a gangster selling drugs? No. But God gave his son for egregious sinners. What love that is. That he might bring us back from the brink of total destruction so that we might live forever in joy, peace, and happiness, and security in his kingdom. Now that's love. And we are supposed to respond to and give him that love back. There is no substitute for thankfulness, for gratitude, for joy, and deep respect for what our Father and His Son have done for us. And yet we so easily get whiny or selfish, wanting our way, rather rather than being eternally grateful. Why are people depressed? Why are people upset? Because they want what they want, whatever it is, and they don't have it, and therefore they're upset. Because of our selfishness and our narcissism, we are unhappy. There's no room for unhappiness. 
There's no room for depression. There's no room for pity parties. We have been given so much by God. Look at this beautiful earth around us. Look at how wonderfully our bodies are made. How intricate our minds are. How we can enjoy and have the sight, the hearing, the taste, the touch for food, for skin, for everything that God has made that is good and beautiful and wonderful. God made us male and female at the beginning. He made Adam first and he made a woman to be a help, a strength. So many things that she can give. And yet here we are today, unthankful that we're men or women, and wondering if we're somewhere in between, and not grateful and thankful to God for the way he made us. So we want to be something different because we're discontent, unthankful, and ungrateful for what he did do for us and how he made us. Don't want to be the way you made me, God. I want to be a transvestite. I want to dress and drag and think I'm a girl. How ungrateful, how wretched we are. Now, we're not all that deep in it, but still, we find ways to feel sorry for ourselves because of our health or our income or our whatever it is that we don't have that we wish we had. Instead of being thankful for the very breath of life and that God lets us walk on this beautiful earth that he gave us. Our hearts should be full of joy and gratitude and thankfulness. And we should express it to him regularly. Thank you so much. When you're thankful, you're not ungrateful. When you're thankful, your mind and your attitude is thankful for what you have been given, not distressed and upset because of what you haven't. And maybe God doesn't give you what you want because you don't have a thankful, grateful attitude. Isn't that what this is all about in the church and in our nation? We're not thankful to God. We're ignoring God. He tries to lead us to righteousness and we pull back like a backsliding heifer with a rope around its neck. Think about it. Think about what we are. Think about all the wonderful things God has given us. I'm sitting right here right now looking out a window at a blue sky with white, a little bit of gray clouds, pine trees, aspen trees, cedar trees, all over the mountainside, and it's just beautiful. And I can't help but have my heart swell with thankfulness that God made this beautiful environment and the squirrels and the chipmunks and the rabbits and the deer and all the things that he has made and the foods that he's given us by nature that we've polluted and misused and abused and genetically changed and we're becoming sick. And then we feel sorry for ourselves because we're sick. We didn't use the things God gave us that are beautiful and wonderful and helpful So here we are, being punished. Now, what's our reaction? Let's go on here. Because of the mountain, can't read now, but look at that in the sunshine, of Zion, which is desolate, the foxes walk upon it. He brought up the Edomites. Christ himself even called Herod, who was an Edomite, a fox. So it's a it's a nickname for Edomites, it's fox. Well, foxes are walking on our mountains, on our government, and they're making it desolate. You, O Eternal, remained forever. Okay, we got foxes, Edomites, people trying to destroy us, but stop and think. God is forever. 
He never gives up on us. He never turns from us, except in punishment. But his heart and his mind is all for us, even though he can't stand to look at us. But he wants us to repent and change and become thankful and grateful and joyful for all the things he's done for us and made us to be. You know, it's when we're healthy, we don't think about it. When we're unhealthy, we think about it. We don't like to feel bad. We don't like to hurt. We don't like pain. Yet God didn't make us this way. We destroyed the beauty of the wonderful gifts of food that he gave us. And now we've made it so that the things we actually eat make us sick and give us pain and frustration. And it's hard to be grateful to God for our bodies having been wondrously made and even self-healing to a great degree. After we have polluted them and misused them and abused them, and even we who know better, drink pop and some of the wretched, sugary, refined, processed junk that is being offered to us in fancy packaging because we don't respect the body that God gave us. We're not thankful for it to the point we'll take care of it. So we pollute it with things that we like, that taste good to us, that are destroying our health, and then we're going to moan and complain to God about how bad we feel. We did it to ourselves. Instead of being thankful for what he's given us and taking the right kind and proper care of it so that it doesn't hurt and doesn't pain and we aren't sick. But we are at the end of 6,000 years of degeneration of eating unclean things, polluted things, and now things which have had all their food value removed, and then they enrich it with chemicals and tell us we're going to be healthy. Turn to God. Turn away from the nasty stuff that we're still putting in our bodies and try to find something as much the way God made it as you can and eat it that way instead of the way mankind has turned it. Be grateful, be thankful for what God made that was helpful. And now we've substituted things that aren't. And then we complain to God about how we feel. We brought it on ourselves. Now we need to ask for mercy, for forgiveness, for grace. And turn to God with our whole heart and plead that he forgive our sins and restore us. And he has said he will restore, but we need to do our part. He's remained forever through the generations. Wherefore, do you forget us forever? This has gone on, at least in the church, for 37 years. It won't go on that long with the nation. It's going to be destroyed very rapidly. And forsake us so long time. You know why? He's working with us. He's going to work with Israel and the rest of the world in the millennium as well. And there's going to be a long process. But he's been patient with us in our sin. Turn you us unto you. He tells us in Jeremiah, same author. Turn to him, seek him with your whole heart, and you will find him, and he will be found of you. He's willing to be found if we'll look for him. I've seen kids play hide-and-seek, and they're supposed to hide where they can't be found, but then they like make little noises so that you can find them. They actually want to be found. Christ wants to be found. God the Father wants to be found. We have to look for them. We have to search for them. And then they will be found of us. That's what it says right here. 
Turn us to you, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. We recently went through quite a bit of material about restitution, restoral, and that being tied together with the last day of unleavened bread, where he began to restore Israel as a nation, as a people. He's going to restore the church. But you have utterly rejected us. You are very angry against us. And Jeremiah just leaves it with that thought. Where are you? Please turn to us. Please help us. Turn us to you. We're still confused, frustrated, and upset at our lot. Become thankful. Become grateful for what you do understand. And utilize it to turn to God, heart, mind, body, and soul, then we will find relief and restitution in the series.